This is The Bible in Depth with PJ. Join us as we take a deeper look into scriptures and study the Word of God together. Now here is Pastor Jim. Well, hello, everybody, and uh, we are back for our uh, Wednesday Bible study. We are currently in Colossians, and remember that you can also view this, if not on Facebook, you can watch it on uh, on the YouTube, Norco, NBCC Norco YouTube channel. You can also download it, podcast, you can get it three different ways. <clears throat> we just hope that you uh, take these things to grow in Christ, grow in your knowledge of the Word, and then put it in application. Now today, as we look at Colossians uh, chapter 1, picking up at verse 24, <clears throat> And let me talk to you, those of you who cook. I don't. I've had many discussions with my wife. I don't like cooking. Uh, maybe that'll change one day. I like eating, but I'm not crazy about cooking. But some of those of you who cook, have you ever made one of your favorite dishes? And everybody loves it. But this time, it just didn't come out right. And you know what? Something was lacking. And you knew something was lacking. Everybody knew someone's lacking, and then you finally ask the question, is something lacking? And they go, oh yeah, something's lacking, something's lacking. <clears throat> and you know something's lacking. Well, let me tell you a story. When I first got married, uh, which is like in two, eight, three centuries ago, uh, when I first got married, came back from my honeymoon, and I, I think it was the first meal my wife cooked for me. I can't quite remember, but I think it was. She made... For me, one of the things I really love, and she made chile verde. She was so proud of that chile verde. <clears throat> now, one of the things that still upsets me to today is that when she said it was ready, she said, you know, it's ready, and I'm sitting there waiting for her to bring it to me like my mama always did, and she said, well, come and get it. I thought, why wasn't that on the resume for marriage? <laughs> so I had to go get my food. Are you kidding me? What's this woman do? She, what's she put me through? So I get my chile verde, and I remember the, I'm eating it, and uh, she asked me, how is it? And I go, it's good. It wasn't, <laughs> but I just said it was good, and because it was lacking something. See, in her family, they didn't cook with a lot of garlic. In my family, we cook with garlic. My mom, man, everything was garlic. And so it was lacking the garlic in there that I needed for it to taste really, really good. <clears throat> Paul begins with a statement on lacking. And in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 24, our first statement we'll make today is, the body of Christ fills up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now verse 24 of Colossians 1 says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh <clears throat> I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, you think about that. Were Christ's sufferings lacking? Was the cross not enough? Is this what he's saying? No, that's not what he's saying. Because it was enough. The cross, when Jesus hangs on the cross, do you remember <clears throat> that final moment when he says, it is finished, it's completed, it's done. He's the perfect sacrifice. There was nothing lacking in that. In fact, when he dies, the veil of the temple was ripped top to bottom. Now, we read that and go, oh, that's interesting. No, you got to know the size of the veil. 
60 feet tall, 30 feet wide, and somewhere between 10 and 11 inches thick. Now for that veil to rip top to bottom, that was not a man deal right there. That was God. God ripping that thing. But what's the significance when Jesus says it's finished and the veil rips? The significance is open house. That thing that separated God in the holies of holies from man, <clears throat> sin, could now be cleansed away through the offering of the life of Jesus Christ. So when he says it is finished, it's finished. It was enough. Okay, so what does Paul mean? What's he talking about in verse 24? He says, we fill up what's lacking in the afflictions of Christ. We, we do as the body of Christ. Now, afflictions simply means pressures of life. Look, <clears throat> we all know the pressures of life. But Paul, I think, is telling us that we Christians, we fill up what's lacking in the afflictions because once Jesus' earthly ministry ended, His afflictions are ended, but we continue to work as the body of Christ and we experience the pressures of life through, you know, opposition or persecution or just things go wrong, but yet we carry, you know, the disposition of Christ through those things. So in that respect, we fill up the sufferings of Christ. That's the first thing Paul is saying. Now, the second thing he says is we're to teach the full counsel of God. Now, watch in verse 25. <clears throat> of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship of God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. He wants to fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. We're to, care, we're to teach the full counsel of God. Now watch what Paul, who writes this, watch something else about him in the book of Acts chapter 20, and I'm going to read verses 21 to, uh, I'm sorry, 26 to 31. It says this. <clears throat> I love these verses. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. <clears throat> Be on your guard, he says, be on your guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. I'm an overseer of a, of a local flock. To shepherd, which means to feed and to lead the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now he's calling Jesus God because Jesus is the one who shed his blood. And the church the ecclesia, us called out ones, we have been purchased by a big price, and that's the life of Jesus and His shedding of blood. Verse 29, he says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves, these are false teachers, will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, he says, men will arise speaking perverse Perverse means to distort and to misinterpret. Perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Now, <clears throat> let, me, let me talk a bit here. Um, 
you know, sometimes people ask me, well, why do you teach a Wednesday? Why do you teach Sunday? You know, why do you do all this teaching? I'll tell you, what, the vision is for all this for me. I draw it from those verses, and I've always drawn it from those verses. I'm called to teach the full counsel of God. If anybody asks me, do you have a vision? What? Teach the full counsel of God. It's just that simple. Because I know we need to get a grasp on the full counsel of God. Now, <clears throat> I really admire teachers who teach the full counsel of God. I pretty much exclusively listen to theologians who are experts in these things, who really know their stuff. That's who I like to listen to. Because I want to get the full counsel of God on the subject. Now, I, I have to, he, Paul's right. And we got to be honest. False teachers do come into the church. And they do. They come in <clears throat> in different ways, in different ranks. Sometimes they're the very people among us, false teachers. And I've seen some of these things over all my years in the ministry. Now, one of the things that, um, that I'm always leery of is that, um, or I'm always kind of looking at is that things that sound right coming out of a Christian's mouth, and sometimes they're very sincere Christians, sometimes they're savage wolves. They sound right, but it's not quite right. I want the full counsel of God in my life. <clears throat> now, here's the thing. Um, I, I think I get, I, no, I don't think. I, I do get, I'm troubled by it. I, I'm troubled by Christians listening to so many things out there that sound right, but and they might throw a few verses here and there, but it's not right. I'll, be a, I'll give you a personal testimony in this one. <clears throat> I've had Christians tell me, listen to this activist, listen, and they don't call them activists, just listen to this person, but they're activists. And the, I, I'll listen a little bit, and I stop listening to them because they'll say certain things, and they're trying to rile you up against things, and they'll throw a few verses here and there, and it, it sounds right. But the more you think about it and you use the full counsel of God, they're not right. It is so slanted to fit the personal agenda, and I just can't go that way. Friends, just be careful. You want the full counsel of God on something. I want to listen to the ones who study this, the theologians, the ones who know the stuff, the ones who will give me the full balance of Scripture, not just the latest hot shot coming through that's going to give me a few verses. No, maybe I'm just older now and been walking with God so long that I'm just not going to fall for these things. I'm just not going to do it. Paul taught the full counsel of God. That's my vision for any time I teach. I'm going to teach the full counsel of God. Now, the next thing I want to say is that <clears throat> the body of Christ is to be united. Now, look at verse uh, 26 and 27 of Colossians chapter 1. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but now has been manifested to His saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, <clears throat> there's a mystery revealed that um, Paul is talking about here, and that is he brings the Gentiles into the equation. It's a mystery that the Gentiles come in. Now, <clears throat> in Jesus Christ, it's not just Jews 
who are called, it's, it's Gentiles. We're all part of this kingdom of God. Now, you and I read that, and we may think, no, okay, no big deal. Oh, it was a big deal back then, and we can take that and apply it to today in many other ways. But the big deal for them was that for a Jew to accept the Gentile? No, they didn't get along. Jew didn't get along with Gentile. Gentile didn't get along with Jew because a Gentile was a mixed ethnicity, mixed with Jew and Assyrian. And the pure Jews, they didn't want nothing to do with them and therefore vice versa. And here comes Jesus and he calls these disciples who are Jewish men, the first born again ones, to go into the world and preach this gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. There it is. There's some Gentiles there who are mixed breed. These are Samaritans, and half Jew, half Assyrian, and the othermost parts of the world, which is all Gentile out there. And, we're, and they're called to go do that. You know what? You know that um, Peter fights it. Peter, not going to do it, not going to do it, not going to do it. And there's this story in Acts 10, repeated in Acts chapter 11, about the sheet that comes down and it's animals on there, and Peter's not going to eat. God says, kill and eat. And he says, no, I've never eaten anything unholy. And Jesus says, what I've cleansed, no longer considered unholy. And Peter, as the story continues, understands that God's talking about Gentiles. Peter is finally free in his own mind and heart, though Jesus freed him a long time ago, to go minister to the non-Jewish people. You know that's 20 years after the resurrection? Think about that. 20 years after the resurrection, and Peter is finally getting rid of his old stinking thinking. <clears throat> we all got a little stinking thinking in us, every one of us. So let's not act like we don't. That's why we need the full counsel of God in our life. Look, the local church, it's the hope of the world. It's the hope of the world. And if we're going to reach the world, we can't act like, or we can't sit around and not get along with all the different people groups. We're one body. We bring that message of love. and We get along. We don't agree on everything, but we get along and we are united in that purpose. And that's one of the evidences. That's one of the great evidences that God is alive. Now, the question. Why can church people from all these different backgrounds get along and they don't seem to get along anywhere out there? Let me tell you why. That's the fourth thing today, and that is this. Jesus is our primary identity as the body of Christ. Look at verse 27. To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery. What mystery? That the Gentiles can be reached together with you, among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, the hope of glory. Now, <clears throat> the mystery is, the big mystery is Christ in us. Now, Christ is the head. Christ is also, we're the body of Christ. We're all part of that body of Christ. You ever wonder why um, your marriage works? And other people struggle so much because Christ is the head and you're part of the body. You have a primary identity and a unity in that. Christ is the head. Now, you've heard me say this before, and I'm going to keep repeating it because in the climate of the culture of today, of everything that they're pushing and 
One of these past Sundays I shared with you, you know, how they try to divide us among ethnic lines and the media does this and, and politicians do this. And we as church folk, we can't buy into any of that, um, any of that falsity out there. So let me tell you what, I was, what I've told you before, and I, and I tell people, if they ask me, what's, my prim- what's Jim Del Campo's primary identity? Is it American? Is it Spanish-Mexican descent? Is it Christian citizen of heaven? What's my primary identity? Follower of Christ, my primary identity in yours is Christian citizen of heaven. That's primary. After that, I'm an American, proud of it. And finally, I'm an American who happens to be of Spanish and Mexican descent. And that's the way I view it because I think it's a biblical thing. And people, if they say, aren't you a Mexican-American? No, I'm an American-Mexican because I was, I'm from here, okay? I'm an American, and that's the way I view it. And there's only one race. It's called the human race. We find that in Acts 17, 26. So our primary identity is the body of Christ. I, I am a citizen of heaven. And it doesn't matter what ethnicity anybody else is in the church. If they're a citizen of heaven, <laughs> we're in the body. It's my brother. It's my sister. And that's it. Now let me sidebar with a super fun fact. You look at back at Colossians 1.19. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it. It says, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him. So the fullness of God dwells in that physical body of Jesus. Is that incredible or what? Now take that thought and you look at verse 27 of chapter 1 and it says that the mystery is that Christ is in us, the hope of glory. Now think about what Paul is saying because it's a mind blower. He's saying that all the fullness of God, the creator of everything, dwelled in Jesus and we, or Christ, is in us, in us, dwelling in us. Did you catch that? Is your mind blown? That in you right now, follower of Christ, think, don't, don't miss this. You carry the fullness of God inside of you right now as a follower of Christ. When the Spirit came to live inside of you, the fullness of Jesus Christ lives in you right now. Think about that. Think about the power. Think about the transformation power. Think about the character formation of who you are because Jesus is living in you. That's incredible. Number five today, and that says, Paul labors to grow people up in Christ. This is his big labor. In verse 28 and 29, watch what Paul labors about. He says, We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. So he's working so that people can find, he's trying to complete people in Christ. That's what he's doing. There's a difference between your standing and your state as a follower. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. He understands who's in him. He understands the fullness. But think of what he's saying here. He says, I labor. 
This guy, he says, I work to present people complete in Christ. This is bringing the full understanding of God, the full counsel of God. I labor to make people complete. You know what the word complete means? It means mature. That's big. Look, there's a difference between my state and my standing as a follower. My standing before Jesus Christ, I'm perfection because I'm under the blood as if I've never sinned. That's my standing. It never changes. But then there's the state, my state. My state in is I've got to keep growing and developing in Christ, maturing. Paul says, I want to present people complete. I want them to keep growing and growing and growing. Now, let, let, let me be clear. You've heard me say this. If you've been in church with me for a while, you've heard me say it so many times. And listen, somebody. You can be 25, 35, 45, 55, 65, 75, and have a grown-up body and be intellectually your, your age, but you can be emotionally stunted and stuck. Something went wrong somewhere. Something didn't keep growing in you. Because you're a three-part being, body, soul, and spirit. The soul is made up of the mind, the will, and the emotions. Paul wants to mature us, but we can be stuck. Now, let me share some things, and and I'm going to basically read these to you so you understand what I'm saying. And this is not even a comprehensive list. We can be stuck in the sense that we're selfish in relationships. We can even sabotage relationships. Grown-ups do that all the time. Grown-ups in physical bodies, intellectually their age, but not emotionally their age. How about if you get irritated and impatient when others don't do what you think they should? Now stop. And you can be a person that keeps your little irritation and patience on the inside with your little straight face, so nobody knows you're getting bugged because nobody's listening to you and nobody's doing what you want them to do. That's a baby. Or maybe you're the outward expression of that emotionally. Maybe you blow up. Maybe you throw the tantrum uh, outward and not just inward when you just don't get your way. That's immaturity. How about holding on to grudges and unforgiveness? Oh, they did this, this, and this. Like you've never done anything to anybody else. How about this one? You have to control people. You have to control the decisions of others. You want to control the decisions of organizations. And when you don't get your way, after so many months or years or whatever, you move on. And you go to the next place for a couple years, and you move on. Go to the next place a couple years, and you move on. Because you're trying to get your way instead of being part of the body and, and submitting to where, the, where it's going. Let me tell you one of my pet peeve ones. Maybe you pout. Maybe you sulk when it doesn't go your way. You're too old for that. In relationships, if the person you're dating or married to, and you're a grown-up now, and they have to regularly ask you, what's the matter? What's the matter? Maybe you're a pouter. If you're always pouting, it's like this, this poor me and whatever poor me means to you. But that's something you, you carried with you into adulthood and your emotions are stuck. That's not maturity, my friends. Not at all. And people after a while kind of get tired of asking that question of you. 
because they want to relate to a grown-up. See, that worked in your childhood. It doesn't work in adulthood. Or how about this one? Here's a sign of an immature person. Always using words to manipulate others with questions that have to be answered the way you desire. Man, I listen for that in people because I know it's manipulation. I know it's manipulation. And the list goes on and on and on. Those are some, just some, just a few uh, um, elements of an immature person. But Paul says, I want to present you mature. I want to grow you to completeness in Christ. So let me close today with a goal. Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has laid out a lot, a lot of growth statements in Matthew chapter 5. And then we come to the very, very end of Matthew 5, the last verse. And Jesus says this, Therefore, you're to be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, don't think that perfect means perfect in the way you guys think perfection, like I can, get, I can become perfect. No, you can't. Not until you get to heaven in your glorified body in a perfect place, and then and only then will be walking in perfection, but you and I stumble. The word perfect can mean end, E-N-D. And it's like this, it's the end toward which a developing person, a growing person is oriented. In other words, you're always growing in maturity. You're always developing in maturity. And to reach that end, to reach maturity, that's what Jesus is saying there. You want to get to that place. Now here's my last challenge. Go back and read all of Matthew 25. And be honest every step of the way. Every, every statement he makes, say, am I mature or am I immature? Because all of Matthew 25, he's leading you to this last verse there. It says, this is the direction. This is where you should be moving in your life. And Paul says, I labor. I labor because I want to present every person mature in Christ as a grown-up. As a grown-up. And all you have to do is look out into this world and you see a lot of little boys and girls in grown-up bodies doing all kinds of damage. We're to grow up in Christ. Amen. I'm going to stop right there for today. We'll pick it up next week, starting in chapter 2 of Colossians. God bless you. See you later. Thank you for joining us. If you have any questions or need prayer, please send us an email to hello at nbcc.com. We'd love it if you would subscribe to this podcast and take a second to rate it. Until then, we'll see you next time.